Welcome to Maker Mom, a podcast where I explore the stories of Maker Moms and the life they lead. Each week, I will bring you the behind the scenes story of a new Maker Mom. I'm Katie Freeman, a furniture designer and content creator running FreemanFurnishings.com and your host of the Maker Mom podcast. You can find Maker Moms hanging out in the Facebook community at Maker Moms and on the web at MakerMomPodcast.com. If you love what you hear, please subscribe, leave a stellar review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know. Hello and welcome to episode 115 of the Maker Mom podcast. Today's guest is Teresa Applegate. Uh, Teresa calls herself an artist and maker of like all sorts. She does so many different things in addition to being an actual art teacher and a mom of two. Uh, currently she's really diving into making jewelry pieces uh, and working from pieces found in nature. Super great time chatting with Teresa and really interesting kind of getting into her process on how she makes her pieces. Before we hop into the interview, I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons over on Patreon. So thank you so much. Kevin Lefty's Woodshop, Christy Twisted Twine, Christina B, Jeremy Spies, Sammy Go Sammy Lee, Lauren Rasp File Designs, Sven Dwarf Size Workshop, Rachel Moody Makes, Bonnie Toolmom Bonnie, Toolmomstore.com. Laura Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou, Made by Mary Lou, Amy Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly of Reclaimed Living Store, Brandy Studio Obey, Kathy One Girl in Her Tools, Ellen Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your continued and ongoing support helping me to produce two episodes a week every week. And with no further ado, here is Teresa Applegate. All right. Well, uh, if you don't have any questions, then we can hop in. And I always have my guests introduce themselves. So when you're ready, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. I'm Teresa Applegate. Um, I am a maker. I'm an art teacher. I'm a mom. And I like to make all kinds of stuff. And I always have, like, started when I was really little, just buying art materials and making whatever. So um, after high school, I went to the Savannah College of Art and Design and I got a degree in metals and jewelry and a minor in ceramic art. And after that, I bartended for a few years and those are like the lost years, right? But then I got yeah. my master's degree in art education and I've been teaching high school. This is my 11th year teaching high school. I've bounced around to a couple of different schools because art programs just get cut. And um, so I taught for one year at a local high school and my job got cut. And then I taught for five years at a different high school. And my job got cut. So this is my fifth year here at Floyd Central and I really love the place I am. So hopefully I get to stay here. But I teach um, ceramics, AP 3D studio art, jewelry making, and I teach intro level classes and also IB art. So that keeps me busy during the week. And then um, 
nights and weekends. I'm working on building my uh, jewelry inventory and working on my website and selling stuff on my website and also obviously taking care of my children and hanging out with my husband. So that's who I am and what I do, basically. All right. How old are, how many kids do you have and how old are they? I have two kids, Ezra and Rumi. Um, Ezra's four. He just turned four in December and Rumi is one and a half. So little littles still. (laughs) Um, That makes getting things done at home a a bit more difficult. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, so over the last, you know, nine months or so with pandemic happenings, sometimes I have to work from home and I'm just covered in children. And uh, this year, you know, we had to quarantine at different times. And so I'm working from home. My kids are quarantined at home too. And I have to connect to my classes from my basement studio and my kids are climbing all over me and my, and Rumi climbed up on my lap and said, booby in the middle of my class. So like, she's tugging at my clothes, trying to nurse while I'm trying to teach class. And at one point I just locked him in my studio and like fed them Oreos as I was trying to finish up my day. So Uh, But it's so cute because Ezra, my four-year-old, he now, he knows that the studio is like art making space. So he has sort of cleared off a space in there and he has a space where he paints and uh, we papered mache in there the other day, just so he's like making along with me now, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Him get excited about it. Like this morning he said, can I come to school with you and make clay? But nobody, you have to go to daycare, but maybe after school we can make play. There you go. So, I mean, I have to ask, how do you do art class virtually, especially since it's like all hands on? Yeah. Okay. So um, we've been completely virtual for like a few weeks before our winter break and this week we are virtual and they'll come back um starting monday some of them for like a hybrid schedule so so what we've been doing is um getting supplies together and i have like a location that i drop off supplies they come and pick things up i send supplies home i've been making kits i've been writing grants to get extra money to get like materials for each student because i have class sets of everything but um there are certain things that each student needs one and I don't have like 90 of them to send home one with everyone. Anyway. Yeah. So um, I feel like my job at McDonald's when I was in high school has prepared me for this current situation because I'm like packing up to go orders and like labeling them and putting uh, so that, and I have had to come up with different processes for, for everything. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're progressing with making things, but we're just going more slowly than in the past. And I'm just adapting assignments to try to like figure out how to help them make them at home. Like I have Mm -hmm. a jewelry class. I teach it as a metalsmithing class. And so each student has their own kind of like kit of hand tools. 
and I've been trying to do things that they can just do at home with basic hand tools instead of, you know, in my classroom, I have actually another classroom next door where we have a jewelry uh, setup, you know, rolling mill and torches and things like that. And they just can't use them every day. Um, and some students are full virtual students. They've elected to attend virtually the whole year. So even when I do have the hybrid schedule with kids coming like every other day, those students still stay at home. So um, they're just not learning as much, which is unfortunate. Right. Yeah, uh, when you mentioned the, the jewelry making metalsmithing, I was gonna ask if torches and stuff were involved because the small amount I know about jewelry <laughs> making and metalsmithing, like that's all kind of hot work usually, right? I mean, I mean, there's a lot you can do with cold connections, um, sawing, forming that you don't need heat for, but you can do a lot more with heat. Right. <laughs> and it's right. fun too, I think. Yeah. Uh, play with fire. I was going to say, who doesn't like to set things on fire? I mean, <laughs> um, so I want to go back just a little bit to when you talked about um, childhood into college and just being, you know, interested in art and, and making things. Um, when you went uh, for your undergrad in college, like, I'm just curious, you know, and I ask people who go into the arts, like, what was the response of your family to that? Like, was it like fully on board and supportive or... So my mom always wanted to be an interior designer and her dad said no to art school. And so my mom was definitely on board with it and encouraged me to do it. All through high school, I took honors classes, AP things and did fairly well on like placement exams. And then when I was finally deciding like, I'm gonna go to art school, um, my teachers were kind of like, mm but why have you, like I graduated 10th in my class with really high GPA and they acted like art school was kind of below me. So I, at first I thought, okay, well maybe I'll be an architect because that seemed like a noble profession, <laughs> you know? And so yeah. the schools that I was looking at um, had good architecture programs, but I kind of did like a bait and switch, I think. Like I, I never took a single architecture class when I went to SCAD. I, I knew that I wanted to like hands-on make stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I had, so my high school art teacher, Jeff Dotson, he was just like, money's not everything, you know, do something that's going to make you happy. And I'm not saying I needed to go to college to to learn how to make stuff because, well, honestly, that was before, like, you could learn everything on YouTube, but mm -hmm. um, getting a BFA forced me to, like, meet new people, think different ways, uh, learn how to critique artwork. I never knew anything about that before I mm -hmm. went to college, so um, I had this kind of, like, love-hate relationship <laughs> with my degree for a while because of the financial expense of it you know as I'm paying back my student mm -hmm. loans I'm like resentful about it but uh now that they're paid off I feel just all the gratitude and I, 
last week, uh, was it like, yeah, last week in between Christmas and New Year, um, I road trip down to Savannah with my family. So I like to go back every once in a while and just kind of hang out where I used to hang out. And it's so fun to do that now with my kids. Like I'm nursing my baby in the same coffee shop that I first uh, came to when I, you know, when mm-hmm. I decided to go to school here 20 years ago. Right. So it's kind of like a full circle thing. And I'm really grateful for the experience, even though my teachers weren't necessary. not all my teachers were supportive. My family was though. I got a little scholarship, but I still had a lot of student loans to pay back. Yeah. Um, I can, <laughs> I can only imagine. Um, and that's, I guess, it's a little surprising, but not about your response from your teachers. Um, and given, I mean, you, you know, when you said 20 years ago, I would say like that, like, cause that was about the time I went off to college too. So that was like the mindset, right. Of like the generation who would have been parents or would have been teachers was like, a, everybody has to go to college. Like yeah. that's the only way that you're ever going to like make something of yourself and um and be like yeah there is no way to make a living in the arts like there's just it's impossible (laughs) um and this idea of like oh you don't have to make money in fact you'd probably be more enriched by doing something you thoroughly love and enjoy doing versus like the paycheck that just wasn't even on the radar as far as like um at least not that I ever remember hearing from any adult in my life at that point in time. It sort of happened organically that after I graduated, then I decided to go back and get my master's to teach. Um, I think teaching really suits me because I get to teach all kinds of different things and I'm really interested in all kinds of different things. Like after I graduated with my BFA, I set medals aside for a while and I was really interested in ceramics. And then when I got my master's degree, I got interested in bookbinding and leatherworking. And so I kind of, and I've always um, done sewing, quilting when I was little with my grandmother. And so I just, I'm really interested in everything. So I think teaching really helps me to stay interested in everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't plan to be, I thought maybe I would teach um, at the college level after after my undergrad. And mm-hmm. then I just, um, I'm really wanting to be here around my family and mm-hmm. college teaching jobs are just, they require you to move across the country somewhere. Like rarely can you find a college teaching job in the town that you're, you know, that you live in. So right. I decided to just, <laughs> air quotes, just yes. teach high school, which is really, it's, I really like it. I enjoy coming to, to work, even in this insanity. <laughs> well, I, I applaud you because I started out in college. I was going to be a shop teacher. That's what I uh, started going to college for. And maybe kind of like you, a little bit of a bait and switch, you know, like that's like everybody was because my mom uh, was a teacher and so it was like oh you're gonna be a teacher like your mom and like you know all this stuff and when I got there and then like I had one semester of all like technical classes that I absolutely like 
loved. Yeah. And then I like the next semester, my second semester freshman year, I think I managed to go to like the first education course for like a week. And I was like, nope, can't do it. (laughs) Cannot do it. Um, And just even the realization of like, okay, when I graduate college, I'm going to be 22 and I am supposed to go teach people who are five years younger than me. Um, And plus, especially being a shop teacher, the expectation would be like, they're all going to be boys. And here I am like, going to be like a young, you know, female teacher. And so I was like, yeah, no, can't do it. So I applaud you for, for teaching high schoolers, because it is, I don't know, it's an interesting age group, for sure, to work with, I think. Yeah, I was a little older when I started teaching high school than that, because of my uh, lost years, I'm also (laughs) starting with a master's degree. So, um, it helped a little bit, but I'm small, like I'm a short person. So I wasn't like bigger, a lot bigger than my students or anything. I mean, a lot of them are bigger than me in high school. So I didn't have that kind of like authority, I guess, to start out with. So it was a little challenging at first, but um, I haven't been hit on by students in a while. So that I can tell I'm getting older. (laughs) I don't have that problem anymore. Hi, makers. Today's episode is brought to you by toolmomstore.com. Toolmom and company is for all ages, genders. They have what you need for your one-stop tool-related merchandise of gifts and clothing. Uh, The products are fun, fashionable, one-of-a-kind. In fact, I have two of the mugs. Uh, One has a circular saw with flames coming off of it. It says, Go Girl. Another one has the definition of a tool chick. Both of them are super awesome, and I have coffee out of them almost every morning. So check out toolmomstore.com or find them on Instagram at toolmombonnie. You can receive an extra 20% off at a checkout by using the code MAKERMOM. We have a technical um, program, like a school in the region that's like a technical school. It's mm-hmm. called Crosser. And uh, they attract a lot of, we don't really have a lot of like shop classes within our high schools in this mm-hmm. district because we have those technical programs. They have all kinds of things like welding and um I don't know what woodworking is called. I kind of don't think it's called woodworking. It might be called, but anyway, so they come and kind of recruit um, students every year. They have meetings at the school to show presentations, to try to get students to come participate in these technical programs. And they can come out with all these certificates and apprenticeships and go right into like, um, I might be saying it wrong, like a journeyman's. Yeah. Something like that, like an apprenticeship type thing. Yeah. Yeah. it's a really cool program, but they kept showing all these pictures of like boys doing all these things. And they're having this meeting with everybody, <laughs> every sophomore in the whole school and all these administrators. Right. And I'm in this meeting, like auditorium full of people. And the whole time I'm sitting there getting so worked up. Because, and then, so they didn't open it up for questions ever, but I stuck my hand up in the auditorium and I was like, what are you guys doing to attract young women in each of these professions? And the 
presenter was like, about, <laughs> uh, well, actually, you know, and <laughs> right. like, up on the fly and saying like, young ladies in our welding program, they just got, I don't know, they just was kind of a bunch of baloney. And that frustrates me because these jobs, these like technical careers, I, because I feel like they were only talking to half the room. Right. And all the girls in the room are thinking, I'm going to go to Prosser for cosmetology, which is fine. I don't want to undervalue that. Mm-hmm. But like, there are so many more opportunities and technical careers. Like if I had to do it over again, maybe I'd be an electrician. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's, re- that's actually really funny you say that. Because the reason I got into being, going for, uh, to get into being a shop teacher is all through high school, I took an electronics course, um, and I was the only girl in the class, um, but I was also the best student, and my teacher absolutely loved me, you know, and basically by my senior year, I wasn't doing too many of my own projects, and if I was, it was like, it, you know, way more advanced type stuff uh, than the rest of the students, but I was basically TAing for him, you know, I was like helping all the other kids out and stuff, and he, like, we just had a conversation and, and, you know, he basically said, he's like, if you wanted to go be an electrician, I think you'd be, you know, really good at that. You understand all of this. And, and it's something I really actually considered, but it was like, I had those voices of other teachers and my mom being like, no, you have to get a four-year degree. Like there's no, there's no other way around it. And so, you know, he's the one who encouraged me to go, you know, into being a shop teacher just because he's like, you know, you're basically teaching your, your uh, fellow students in here and you could get a scholarship because there are not enough like women going into the field and we need more shop teachers basically. So what did you end up getting a degree in? Manufacturing technology with a dual major in design and automation. Mm. Um, So it was basically like a few math classes short of an industrial engineer uh, is what I ended up doing. And that's what I still, you know, and and I kind of, my job job is consulting and I work with manufacturers and stuff like that. So it's still something that I get enjoyment out of because kind of like you and your day job, like it's still like at least adjacent, you know, I get to go into places that are making things and I'm still like, I still love the smell of like oil when you walk into a a fabrication shop. I just love that smell and I don't know why, but I do. (laughs) So, um, it's still, you know, that's still, still fun, but it is, like you said, it'd be interesting if like, if I could go back and do it again, I think I might've gone, maybe not electrician, but something more trades. Like if I had realized like that was like something that was more viable uh-huh. at that time, I think I would have gone that route for sure. Now, okay. So I have to ask though, you went and back to school, got your master's to go into teaching why, like, I guess I'm, I, what, when you went and got your art degree, was your hope to just pursue a, a, a f- future as an artist, or, like, did you have any thoughts of, like, how to utilize everything you learned those four years? I really thought about 
really, I think my goal was to teach at the college level, like get my MFA okay. and keep working as an artist and doing like research and gallery shows and um, also teaching at the college level. And then I just abandoned that idea when I decided I didn't want to like move across the country to go to grad school or mm -hmm. um, move across the country to try to get a teaching job, like a college teaching job. I guess I really battled for a while with kind of the prestige of thinking I'm going to be a professor right? versus like, oh, I'll just teach high school. Yeah. Um, well, I would say though the pay of a professor is probably higher than uh, maybe, 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 but like for a while you're teaching adjunct and it's mm -hmm. not higher. Um, you're spending years teaching as an adjunct professor, maybe possibly getting a permanent position, maybe possibly later uh, getting the opportunity for to apply for a tenure track position. So true. And right now, even college um, art programs are being cut everywhere. So I'm, I'm glad that I am where I am. Mm-hmm. Now with your own kind of side side business, side hustle of um, jewelry making, um, I mean, is that predominantly what you do is jewelry making or do you, like you said, you like to do all kinds of things. So do you still kind of? Yeah, that's predominantly what I'm trying to sell. Okay. Right now. <laughs> I used to have like an Etsy shop where I sold all kinds of things, leather purses and leather accessories, but I'm really diving more into metal jewelry I've got kind of like a renewed energy for that. And that's my current focus. Okay. Why? I mean, to me, it sounds like you thoroughly enjoy teaching and all the things you get to dive into. And I, I would think you still get to make at some level at work because you have to sh demonstrate how to do these things. Yeah. So why have the side? gig like why even like why sell versus just making for yourself oh I never finished anything at school like <laughs> all my demo I have all these unfinished demos lying around everywhere and um sometimes what I'm working on to demonstrate at school doesn't really fit with my personal aesthetic because mm -hmm. I the assignments that I make for the classroom, I try to hit like a variety of techniques and concepts. So I try to focus my making more on like what I'm interested in, mm -hmm. uh, which is like making jewelry out of dead things. <laughs> so that's not really uh, very, I mean, if, you know, these kids would come home and be like, my art teacher is so weird. She's crazy. She makes jewelry out of teeth and skulls. And, you know, sometimes I try to keep that like a little, like try not to show them how strange I am every day. Uh, just every other day? Just every other day. Sometimes <laughs> on these like Google Meets that we have, I feel like I'm just talking to myself because on my screen, there's just like, 
they, they don't turn on their cameras, you know, unless I like force them to, yep. and I don't know if they're sleeping or whatever. So I feel like I'm just talking to myself in front of my yep. camera <laughs> I, all the time. I understand that as well with my consulting. I also teach. And so we've gone virtual, you know, with, with COVID and stuff. Um, and I've gotten to the point where, cause they all hop on and they don't turn their cameras on and I'll just be like, everybody, if you have the capability, please turn your cameras on. And then I just sit in silence until they do it. <laughs> because It's like, nope, I cannot talk to a bunch of black boxes. I just cannot do it. I don't care if you've got, I mean, you can see during our interview, I've got cats running around in the background. So, yeah. <laughs> You know, I'm like, I don't care if you've got children or pets or whatever going on. I just want to see faces and understand that at least if you're silent, it at least looks like you're paying attention. <laughs> um, yeah, it's so I 100% understand the and especially when you're doing something again, like if you're physically demonstrating, you want to like understand that they're paying attention and yeah. engaged in what you're doing. And I have to record everything um, so that they can replay it or, you know, if mm -hmm. it's absent for whatever reason, they can review it. And so even just the, um, like the technical connection aspects of, okay, so right now I'm using this camera and then to, to demo, I have to use that camera. I have a document camera and then the audio is coming out. You know, it, it, I have three screens right now in front of me <laughs> so it's a lot to try to keep up with I feel like my content this year is a lot of technology instead of uh art you know mm -hmm. that's been yeah so speaking of content thanks for the great segue um <laughs> uh content for your business um, obviously I found you on Instagram, so I know you're there. Um, yeah. but what kind of content do you typically share? Is it just about pieces that are complete and up for sale? Do you share your process? Like what kind of content do you enjoy sharing? Um, I like sharing my process, like in my stories and things, what's currently on my work, my messy workbench. Um, I'll share finished products and like link them to my website. So I, oh, I figured out how to like do the Facebook business suite mm -hmm. manager thing and create a products. It's been like incremental steps. So I launched mm -hmm. my website this summer and I spent a solid three weeks like building it and figuring, I mean, I had to Google every single part of it. Mm -hmm. And um, I use Squarespace platform to, yeah. Um, so it was on the help site mm -hmm. all the time. Just everything from, I was patting my back on myself on the back, like, yeah, way to go. You made yourself a logo. <laughs> uh, every little thing. So, so the content I share on um, Instagram, I have my Instagram and Facebook connected together just for like simplicity mm -hmm. and I'm sharing finished pieces, throwback pieces, and I'll tag my products so that that'll link to my website. And um, it's kind of cool on Instagram because you can see what's working well. Like, how are people finding your content? Is it from hashtags? Is it from 
the search feature. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So I'm learning. Um, I really need to be more consistent with posting because it seems like that's what is driving people to view. Cause like I have people that are like, Oh, I love this. I love your stuff. But then it's not really, I don't know. I think it's an Instagram is a great advertising tool. I'm mm -hmm. it's not all the way there with like learning how to mix things. <laughs> it's a, to be honest, I mean, it's a full-time job. And even when it's your full-time job, it does not necessarily mean that you understand it um, <laughs> fully. And so sometimes I'm like, I understand the appeal of people who like hire somebody to manage their social media for them. Um, I understand the appeal because it's so much work. However, that is one of those things that's like, I don't know if I can give up control of that because this is my voice and I don't know how to get somebody else to like be able to replicate that. <laughs> yeah, so that's funny. My husband, I asked my husband Chase to like, will you please help me with writing captions or mm -hmm. something like that, you know? And somehow he um, got his Instagram account connected with my Instagram business account. And he actually posted the other day when we were on vacation, he posted this picture and it, it didn't have anything to do with my jewelry. And I was like, how in the world? And he posted it on his personal page, my personal page and my business page. And I'm like, how did you do that? Like, how have I given you this access to what? Yeah. So I had to like change. I didn't delete it. I just changed the caption on it. And it was like, I'm not really sharing personal content like that on my right. feed, but I guess there's one. There's <laughs> I'm not going to delete it, but, um, so I'm trying and, you know, I'll share something about my kids as far as content, but usually I'll post a picture of like jewelry and then I'll try to tie it into, to family. Cause I mean, mm -hmm. it's all kind of working together. Right. Uh, I want, I think I want pain makers. I want to tell you a little bit about today's episodes sponsor. Athena Outfitters. So when I'm in the market for a new pair of work boots, I do a ton of research, make sure I'm getting something that's going to fit right and going to last. Well, Athena Outfitters is a quality workwear brand for hardworking women that has a tons of experience with footwear. They've taken the time to select the very best shoes and boots made by each of the most reliable footwear brands and when I shop at Athena Outfitters site, it saves me time and energy because I trust that they found the best shoes for every job and activity. Plus bonus, you can shop online. So next time you need new work boots or some other type of high performance shoe, check out AthenaOutfitters.com, uh, Gear with Grit. And Athena is A-T-H-E-N-A -E and then Outfitters.com. You can also get a special discount at checkout by using the coupon code MM, that's capital M, capital M15 for 15% off any purchase just because you're a listener of the podcast. All right, let's hop back into the episode. People on Instagram to know like, it's just me. I'm a person, real person, right. not like some made in China mass produced stuff. Mm -hmm support me you're supporting me you're supporting my family um and it's really just like a one-woman show 
with kids hanging off. I think that's the picture you need to like share on Instagram is like the kids hanging off you as you're trying to get stuff done. Um, Cause that is reality, right? That's like what is going on for real. Um, so I have to ask since you brought it up, uh, why do you uh, enjoy dead things in your jewelry as you put it? Yeah, I don't know. I um, I love being outside and looking at like, uh, I'm really interested in kind of small things with lots of texture. So like fungus or um, moss. Mm-hmm little ferns but not even necessarily the whole fern how like the individual leaves of a fern look like a little fern and then mm-hmm. those leaves look like a little fern so kind of looking at things on a macro scale like macro photography kind of mm-hmm. looking super close at things and I mean I love animals and I've always loved um frogs and lizards and snakes I used to have I a- can't hang with you on the snakes yep can't I used do to that. have a pet snake when I was <sighs> in high school named Precious. Uh-uh. <laughs> I tried to eat the cat, so my mom gave it away. I'm with your mom. <laughs> you know, they just fascinate me. Like, I'm, even my kid, my, Ezra knows, my son knows, he's like, mom, if there's a snake in the yard, he'd be like, mommy, pick it up. <laughs> Trying to teach him probably not to pick up all the snakes, but like, I'm going to pick it up. <laughs> so I guess um, as far as the dead things go, if I discovered a skull or a tooth or also um, oh, like when we were, when I was little, we used to go to the river and look for artifacts. And I would also find there's this place like um, on the riverbank in the Ohio, the shell mound. So we would find these like uh, petrified, so they're not fossilized cause they still look like teeth but they're mm-hmm. somehow petrified teeth and bones and things. So collect all those things and just having like a collection of objects like skull collection or tooth collection or whatever I guess it just fascinates me um I I don't think it's really gross but Mm -hmm. some people think it's really gross um I think it's I think it's if they think it's gross it's because they're visualizing like the finding process you know what I mean like yeah because I've I follow a couple of different artists who use like animal skulls and teeth and stuff in their work. And I've never found it gross, but I definitely find it intriguing. And I mean, it is one of those things like, you know, my, my brother-in-law, they, uh, him and my sister were like out hiking in the woods and they found I want to say it was probably like a muskrat skull like it had the really long teeth on it and you know still kind of like small and they found it and instantly he like sends me a text and he's like can I bring this to the kids and I was like absolutely like I mean why wouldn't you like there's something just totally intriguing about that right and teaching them about like well this is the inside of what that animal looks like um and we still have that skull somewhere, but you know, it's, it's, 
I think especially since having kids, like finding those kind of things is definitely really intriguing, especially when you see it through their eyes, like watching them find those things and just get super jazzed up about wanting to know more about it. So um, I think what really sent me over the edge with the dead things, I did this artist residency in Maine and I walked back and forth from one building to where I was staying and I found one on a, a trip to um, eat dinner, I found this dead snake on the road, like roadkill. It wasn't there earlier, so I knew it was kind of like fresh. fresh yeah. So I peeled it up off the road and I ran back and put it in my bathtub in the room that I was staying. Went to dinner, went about my dinner, had a couple glasses of wine and was telling them at dinner what I was gonna do. I wanted to skin it and like preserve the skin. Um, so I said, I need a bucket, I need some thumbtacks and a knife and a board. So after my glasses of wine, then I make my way back to my room, a little like, woo, and I kind of forgot. I opened my shower curtain, I was like, okay, there is a dead snake in there. But the next day I skinned it and I like let it dry out. And then I started using that snake skin under resin and earrings. And you can't, you don't know, it just looks like a beautiful stone. The snake was blue. The skin was blue and it was so cool. And that's, that's what really like sent me over the edge. Like, I'm going to keep doing this. This is my thing because I was just really excited about the discovery and like the beauty of the skin and kind of the surprise of this material of telling people, well, these are snakeskin dangles. Mm -hmm. And from there I started casting like miniature skulls. Like there's a hummingbird, like a little hummingbird skull. And a lot of people, you know, hummingbirds are beautiful. So they're almost like not as weirded out by it because it's like a, a beautiful thing. And then I found um, a couple years after that, I found this dead bat in my grandma's barn. And so uh, I actually had a student that dissected the bat and they used parts of the bat in a piece of jewelry, which won a national medal in the Scholastic Art Awards, which was so cool. But anyway, awesome. she gave me the bat skull. And then I molded the skull and now I cast the skull. So like the whole mm -hmm. evolution of just getting a collection of uh, cast components of dead things and have like a dead bug collection and skull collection. And people ask me, hey, do you want this dead thing? I have a freezer of dead things. I mean, everybody has a freezer of dead things if you're not a vegetarian, right? <laughs> but like <laughs> what kind of dead things do you have right. in your freezer? Like, why is it not okay to have a dead snake in your freezer, but it's okay to have a dead cow in your freezer? <laughs> Depends on how far along in the decay process, I suppose, that it is. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so I have to ask, because now you just totally got me me jazzed up a bit here. So the snakeskin and the resin. Like, I've watched, you know, I incorporate resin into my woodworking frequently. And so I've watched... I've been intrigued about like I have this cedar board that is was you know uh, a lot of cedar wood has like a lot of knot holes and stuff in it and mm -hmm. so like there's all of these holes through this board and the second I found it I knew I wanted it and I what I really want to do is put moss in the holes and then yeah. fill it in with resin <clears throat> but uh, the research I've done is like things like flowers or moss or anything like that like there ha has to be a process to preserve like the color of it and so that it doesn't 
essentially decay within the resin. So is it a similar process? Like, like for the snakeskin, did you have to do anything to I didn't it? do anything to it. I just okay. poured the resin on it and it's still blue. <laughs> so, um, and I've done moss too. And I did, um, actually when I was in Maine, I had all this, uh, like kelp, mm -hmm. sea kelp that has yeah. these little, like some of them look like little lobster claws and some of them have these little bulbs, the bulbs on them. Yep. And I embedded those in resin. Like I used some shells that I found mm -hmm. and I made those little like oceanscapes and poured resin on top. And the ones that are totally sealed in the resin are still, they look the same. Okay. But the, some of them had like the little kelp poked up out of the resin. And so where the air can get to it, they look different. They've like shriveled. Okay. So the ones that are totally sealed stayed. And that's been, okay. I think it's been like seven years or something. Okay. So I don't know. So over time, probably if the resin was exposed to like light, yeah. it might yellow. It may have to do with the, I don't know. I don't know enough about resin to really give mm -hmm. uh, advice. I think it's just like testing. Well, what kind of resin are you using in your pieces? Like I know there's like a more for jewelry type resin like a uv resin is that like kind of what you use or i use the um the resin that i bought for rio grande which is a jewelry supply company okay it's their brand yeah so it's just like a two-part mixture it comes in little bottles like for mm -hmm. woodworking i would assume you need like a gallon <laughs> it depends on what i'm working on but yes there's uh frequently i have to buy and large quantities <laughs> and I feel like also resin has become a lot more popular so I think oh, yeah. there may be a lot more brands to and for different applications to research there are, yeah there's tons of different brands out there and there's ones that are specifically like it's really caught on in the woodworking community and so um there's a lot of brands basically vying for woodworkers specifically and you know so they follow the trends that they see on social media what's going on and then they try to create something for that specifically yeah. um but I also I also want to ask what do you use to make your molds because I've done some custom molding for resin specific like I'll carve a piece of wood into a certain shape and then I use a molding process you know, to create a mold from that. And then I can recreate it with resin over and over and over again. Um, so what do you use for your molding process? So I used to, so if I was making like a, like a, a mold that you would inject wax, like lost wax casting, there's um, vulcanizing, like a vulcanized rubber where you would make mm. a mold using pressure and heat and it vulcanizes and um, so they're also room temperature vulcanizing and okay. also silicone. So the molds of my skulls are silicone. Okay. Um, is there, I mean, is the, like the rubber versus silicone, any reason to use one versus the other? Uh, silicone's more expensive, I think. Um, mm -hmm. that the vulcanizing rubber has just been more traditionally used in jewelry making and manufacturing. Mm -hmm. I think the silicone would break down more over time if you're like injecting a production yeah. style like a lot. So probably, I, I don't know, cause I'm not doing this massive scale, yeah. but probably um, 
production wise, you would make the mold out of silicone, then make a master and then make multiple mm. molds from your master. Gotcha. So that you kind of preserve your yep. primary master. That's not the right word. But. No, but I mean, essentially it's like, it is like, um, my mind goes to manufacturing and, and where I've worked with like, uh, uh, plastic injection, uh, you know, manufacturers, that's exactly what they do. They create a master mold that, you know, they get buy off on that says, this is exactly what we want. That's their master mold. And then that allows them to create replicas from as yeah. the molds wear out. Yep. <clears throat> um, when you're doing your like castings and stuff from the stuff you've molded, like, are you doing them per like custom orders or do you generally like produce what you like and then you're putting it out there for sale? I produce what I like and then I'm putting it out there for sale. <laughs> I don't like doing custom orders for people because I don't like telling people that their idea is dumb. So you have an example of where you had to do that? Yeah, yeah. So this one guy was like, I want an earring that's like a fish hook with a bass fish in it. And the bass fish is going to be going like, Ugh. I said, no, not doing that. And, you know, people don't want to pay for custom work like that either. Mm -hmm. If you, they just don't know how many hours it takes to like come up with a design and people, I used to do some um, like art shows and set up a booth and stuff. And people will say, well, how long did it take you to make that? And I think that's rude <laughs> in a way, if you're going to mm -hmm. ask it like that. So, but because you're like paying for the collective experience, the collective right. experimentation and all the years of mistakes and everything, right. like it, it took me 36 years to make that, you know? Because mm -hmm. I've been doing this my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I've been learning about it my whole life. Maybe it took me an hour or two to make this particular piece. Right. But it's the product of so many things. Well, the hours to, to even find what you made the mold from, for making the mold, for the upkeep of the molds from, <laughs> like... Um, all of that stuff, right? The utilities it takes to run yeah, to run your it. shop space, all of that stuff. Yeah, I'll do custom orders for like my family, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't really. And you know, if it's okay, so if it's something that someone just wants me to personalize, like a design yeah. that I already do, and they want me to like stamp a date on it or stamp initials or like mm -hmm. I don't know, kind of rework. Um, a design that I already make, I'll do that. But I don't want to just make a bass fish earring with, I mean, if I, no offense to the fishermen, but right. I, it's not my thing. Maybe well, I think that's the point maybe is that like, it feels like he wasn't very familiar with your work to even make that request. You know right. what I'm like, what I'm saying? Just oh, like, yeah, definitely. They like, and people, okay, they find out you make jewelry. They bring you all kinds of broken jewelry all the time. I'm not in the business of jewelry repair. I don't want to mm -hmm. size a ring. I don't want to like, right. I'll do it for my family. 
yes. and for my friends. If they want me to fix something for them, I will. But I, I mean, take it to, they're like, what do you, what do you think about this? I'm like, you should probably take it to a jewelry company. Today's sponsor is Rasp and File Designs. Rasp and File was created to give new life to old things and create spaces that feel timeless, unique, and warm. Your home and business should be your sanctuary, a place of solace, and your personal piece of art. The owner and woodworker behind Rasp and File Designs is Lauren Matthews. And you can follow along and find out more information on Instagram. Just look up Rasp Filed Designs or on the internet at rfdesigns.squarespace.com. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing with woodworking, right? It's like I get asked to repair things, to refinish things, to make things all the time because like I have the knowledge of it. Right. Um, and it just gets to the point of like, I've gotten to the point, especially if I'm being, if it's friends or family, yes, I will strongly consider doing it, you know, uh, but if it's just like an acquaintance who asks me, I'll just be like, you, I will flat out just say, you can't afford for me to do that. Right. Like, like, I'm just going to tell you right now, um, you can't afford for me to do that. I'm pricey, you know, and they'll be like, well, what do you mean? And I'll be like, that thing that you could buy off Etsy because somebody solely does only that, like, I'm going to be three times that cost because yeah. I'm not set up to do that on a, on a massive quantity scale. Like, and they're like, really? Yes, really. Yeah. <laughs> So it's, it's a similar thing, right? Somebody finds out you have a skill set and they're just going to see what they can get you to do. And they think it will be cheaper because they even have an acquaintance with you. Right. <laughs> if you, if they're really your friend, they should pay you more because they know like how hard you work at it. No, I give, I give friends and family discounts too. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like my, my sister's, uh, uh, both getting married, you know, they get the request of, I, I'll, I told them, I'll make you whatever you want for your home, you know, for your wedding gift. And, and my one sister picked something that I'm like, I never in a million years will ever make that ever again, because it is not my style or anything that I'm interested in, but I love you and I will make that for you. <laughs> I might still try to throw in some of my style just or because. Like, don't tell anybody I made <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, this is not on brand for me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of on brand, um, I love your cover and I love that piece that you put on your cover on the, the magazine cover. What was it oh. called? Woodworking. Uh, uh, popular woodworking. Popular yep. woodworking. The texture on it. I'm all about carved texture. So like when I make ceramics, I want that pitted sort of. Mm hmm surface and the process like it's meditative for me and looking watching you carve it with that yeah. power tool I'm like yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. And I'll, yes. in college people would know because our studio was open 24 hours so they would know if they could talk to me or not by how like how big a pile of shavings I was under <laughs> like Shh, don't talk to Teresa she's been here all night because my pile was like, like, behind my pile I'm just back there like carving carving yeah. carving <laughs> 
Yeah, once I found, once I discovered power carving, it's like never been the same since. Because to me, whether it's texture or not, the whole process is meditative. It's just very like, ooh, look at all the shavings that I can get off. Yes. Um, uh, and thank you for that about the cover also. Um, it's been a crazy journey to get that far. So I appreciate that. Um, we're getting close to the end of time and I know you do have a time limit. So I want to make sure um, that one last question, you are a mom of littles, you have a day job and you're making like, you know, nights and weekends. How, like, what's a little tip or a bit of advice to, you know, other moms in a similar kind of space on how to make it work? I have a lot of help. Like, I, it sounds like I do a bunch of things, but I also have a lot of people around me that help me. So I'm really fortunate to have um, my husband that understands that I need a certain amount of time to work on um, stuff. And my mother and father-in-law, they watch the kids a lot. So I guess... I don't want to give any advice because I am not an expert at it at all. And I'm not really sure how I've been doing it so far. Like, I don't even know what's happening because everything changes all the time. Like I find something that I think works and then everything will change, you know, then we'll be in a lockdown and then everything's different. So I guess I say yes, whenever someone offers me help and I say no, when there's something that I don't want to do or there's mm -hmm. that I don't have time for in my schedule and like trying to really focus on whatever projects I'm most excited about because I do better when I'm working on something that I'm excited about and um so that's what I'm that's why there are unfinished projects lying around everywhere like I'm not excited about that anymore so I'm going to mm -hmm. go do something else that really gets me excited to work mm -hmm. on it mm -hmm. So I think, I think that is good advice. Knowing when to say yes, knowing when to say no. Um, I might add in there something that I think we all could get better at knowing when to ask for help yeah. as well. Um, yeah. And I think also knowing in the back of my mind that it's not always going to be this way. So I need to be grateful and enjoy what I have with my kids right now, because they're never going to be this little again. And mm -hmm. instead of being annoyed when they're like hanging around, pulling my hair and taking me away from this thing that I'm working on, that one of these days I'm going to wish that they were that little again to like crawl up to me and pull up on my chair. So just a balance, I guess, and knowing that um, I'll have more free time to work on things that I want to work on later, but I might be even sad about that because my kids mm -hmm. will be more independent and not needing me as much. So I guess just trying to be grateful for like what I have right now and like being excited about the future, but also not trying to wish it here mm -hmm. faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say that that, <clears throat> that goes both ways, at least in, 
I've found myself being able to tell myself when things are tough with kids when they're in like a certain you know stage like telling myself that same thing this is just a season of like this point in their lives like it's not going to be like this forever so try not to let my like you know brain go down that rabbit hole of like the world is ending because this is what my life's going to be like forever type thing um also wondering like is this normal if my kids crying because his granola bar broke in half oh totally normal <laughs> losing his mind yes <laughs> yes emotions are really hard to figure out uh that is what I have learned from my children is that you have? I've got two as well uh oldest is seven and a half and youngest uh turns five this month so um yeah, I mean, I I appreciate what you say, because I do know even now, they're still little, but not super little. And so there are times where it's like, I remember losing my mind when they were younger and just being like, how can I make it through this? And then now, even as they're getting older, like, I definitely do what I hoped I would never do, which is like, trying to keep my youngest a baby longer because I'm just like please I don't want to lose out on these like cuddles and snuggles and you know giggles and all of that where even my seven and a half year old is already like he comes home and you know goes in the basement and comes up for dinner and that's about it <laughs> we don't see him and he's like you know try to talk to him and he's like I just don't want to talk you know <laughs> it's like okay teenager already got it you know um and so understand that yeah you end up missing it be like down the road and you so take advantage of it when they're still in that space yeah but then I also can't stand when someone's like oh you know where everybody's like oh it just goes by so fast and everybody's so ready to give you all kinds of advice and when someone says like, well, you just wait until X, Y, Z happens. If I, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining about something or complaining about a stage, but maybe I just need to say it out loud. Right. Like, this is really hard for me. And when someone says, well, you just wait until this happens. I'm like, does it get worse? <laughs> right. or, what do you mean? I always just say, just be prepared to not be prepared for the next stage. Once you feel like you really, like, I am parent of, I am super parent. I have this shit figured out. No, they oh change. <laughs> they change the very next so, day. <laughs> my husband was gone to a meeting or something. And I'm thinking I'm super mom because I have like my, my four-year-old pooped on the potty and then he's in the bathtub and then Rumi comes in and she's like getting ready to get in the bathtub. And I turn around and she has been, she's got like this disgusted look on her face. She fished some of Ezra's poop out of the toilet and ate it. And I was feeling like all mom of the year. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like so accomplished. I'm getting everything done. He's going to be so proud of me. And my kid just ate her brother's poop out of the toilet. So I, I consider like never telling anyone ever that that happened because she's going to be mortified one yes. day <laughs> about it. And I mean, to her defense, he'd been eating a lot of Fruit Loops. So it was like a funny color. So it looked almost like maybe it was, I don't know, but she just, 
that poor little thing had it like on her face and on her hand and she was looking at me like what is happening so that's okay my my youngest my youngest told a room full of preschoolers i like to pick my nose and eat my boogers so (laughs) that doesn't even phase me at all you know well, apparently, according to her teacher, the kids sitting near her when she made this decoration had these horrifying looks on their face. I'm like, you go, girl. No shame in yourself. That is the way to be. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Let's let everybody know how they can follow along with you uh, before we get off the interview. How can people find you? People can find me. My website is TeresaApplegate.com. It's Teresa with an H, T-H-E-R-E-S-A-A-P-P-L-E-G-A-T-E. And I also have an Instagram account um, and it's Teresa.M.Applegate. And um, probably you could find it if you search Teresa Applegate Jewelry on Instagram. Yeah. All right. Also Facebook. Facebook. It's all connected. Yes. And I'll put links for all that in the show notes. so Everybody can find it. I have to ask because I noticed, because I can see you, your tattoo is your logo. It is. Yeah. <laughs> so where, uh, where'd the tattoo slash logo idea come from? Okay. So when I was like 15 years old, my grandmother gave me this ring piece of jewelry mm-hmm. and I've worn it almost every day since then. It's been a lot of places with me and um it's a piece that she said she got at a like turquoise jewelry party and I'm wearing it right now so okay it's oh yeah so I don't know what the symbol is on it it's just a symbol you know just an inlaid design from who knows who made this ring Mm -hmm. but I've it's just like a part of me and so I got it tattooed on my arm and I've appropriated it for my (laughs) brand I Mm -hmm. guess yeah. And the logo is just kind of a combination of shapes that I really like and have been using in my work for years and years. So I feel official now because I made my logo in um, what program? I can't remember now. Photoshop, Probably InDesign Photoshop, or something yeah. like that. And uh, and I even have like a little stamp, like a little um, mm-hmm. hammer punch stamp so I can that's when you market. feel official, right? When you have yeah, your so official. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Teresa, so much for chatting with me today. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a great way to spend my planning period. <laughs> All right. Again, that was Teresa Applegate. I'll include the links on how you can follow along with her in the description for this episode. Just check that out in your podcast app. If you like this episode and all the previous episodes, please remember to subscribe, like, comment, head on over to iTunes, leave a five-star review. All of that helps the algorithms know that not only do you enjoy the podcast, but others like you may as well. And most importantly, please, please, please share with a friend about all the awesome makers you're learning about on the podcast. All of that really helps the podcast grow. Uh, which means more guests for the future. Check out 
joining the tribe over on Patreon. That's just patreon.com forward slash maker mom podcast. There's four different tier levels over there. Each come with different uh, merchandise, but most importantly, all of the tier levels gets you access to any additional content such as today. In fact, uh, I recorded a live interview, which means that if you're a patron, you had access to hopping on the Zoom call with me and our guest um, and participating in that interview. So if that seems like something fun that you may enjoy in the future, because there will be more of those coming, definitely go check out Patreon. When I am not making podcasts, you can find me designing and making furniture and home decor for bold homes at freemanfurnishings.com and at Freeman Furnishings across all the social media platforms like Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, LinkedIn, Pinterest. I feel like I'm missing one, but you get the point. Freeman Furnishings. I am active on a daily basis on Instagram and TikTok. That's where I keep everything real and up to date and basically live. So come follow along with me. Uh, I always enjoy connecting with people who listen to the podcast and it is Friday. I hope you all have a fantastic weekend and get to make something. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Maker Mom podcast. You can connect with the Maker Mom community in the Facebook group page, Maker Moms. And remember, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe leave an awesome review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know. Mm-hmm.